But I think it was the beginning of him really being able to see that naming his diagnosis Mm -hmm. in the world was really important. Mm. And he wouldn't be doing this podcast today without that having been a step. Wow. Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. All right, Susan, we are here in Studio E together without Eric and Tony. That's kind of crazy. I know. They they set us up for this, though. I know. You know what? I think that, you know, whatever we say, they're just going to edit it, right? So I think so. They so have we have freedom to say what we desire. They and- think. We think we have freedom, <laughs> Jen. We think we have freedom, but you know how they are. Well, you know, maybe there will be this very secret, unedited version that we could share with special listeners. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, in my opinion, everyone's special, so there you go. Awesome. All right. So a lot has happened since we both were on the podcast last time. Right. I actually was on the podcast back in November of 2018. Yeah, I think that's when it was. A A lot of time time. ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, when were you on? When was I was on the very first episode? Wow! With I was uh, the guest with April, um, oh, Tony's yeah, Tony sister. sister. Yeah. Yes, we yeah. were on on the original Studio E. Ooh, the original in the <laughs> in basement. The, in of... the basement. Well, we're still in a basement, well, yeah, but true. it's a different house's basement. <laughs> that's right. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, what has happened for you since the last time you were on? Wow. Susan? So, the, since the last time that I was on, I ended up marrying Tony. Well, that's a pretty big deal. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> that's kind of a big deal. Um, so we got married, and like three months later, I was having. I started having some health issues and had some seizures. It ended up being like one or two a week for a long time. And um, so Tony basically just walked alongside me for that whole time. Um, I ended up in February of 2019 having surgery at the Cleveland Clinic and they removed a cyst from under my skull that was pressing on my brain. It was very scary. but he was with me that entire time. Mm-hmm. He was amazing the the way that he just cared for me through through that whole time. So, you know, it's really funny, you know, we had the we had the podcast, you know, my book came out, all kinds of great things happened. Right. And then um Tony and I got married and then this whole health thing came up. And, you know, we've been married now for over just a little over a year and so it's been it's been kind of a roller coaster I because bet, of yeah <laughs> but you know when you when you put that with um tony's bipolar you know we've we've both had to you know be there for each other and so it's it's been wonderful though like right. i wouldn't i'm he said it one time that he would he hoped that um even though it was a roller coaster he was glad that he was writing it with me and so i thought that was very sweet because 
I feel the same. You're strapped into the crazy together. We, we, <laughs> most, we most certainly are. That's awesome. So what about you? What have you been doing oh, since? That's, that's been kind of a long time it ago. It was. I believe we recorded in March 2018 for wow. our very, the very first episode. So since that time, I left my position as a clinical director for a clinic for um, kids with autism and took a 10-month sabbatical to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life because wow. I'd finished a ministry degree in 2015 and I wasn't using that in vocational ministry. I was uh, helping out and I was served as an elder in the church that we were in, but there wasn't really a path for me to do vocational ministry there. So I decided to just take some time off and figure it out. I started therapy. I started working with a spiritual director um, wow. who's kind of like a spiritual therapist in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and she's amazing. And I still, I'm actually going to have a session with her on Friday and we meet on Skype. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it's great. Don't you love technology? I know. It's amazing. It is. I love, in my work, I do a lot of things that it's all virtual and I just think it's so fun to be able to connect with people from anywhere. Yeah. It, it really opens a lot of doors because I was looking for a certain kind of spiritual director. And so Skype opened the opportunity for that. There you go. So I started uh, doing that kind of work on myself in August 2018 and ended up in May of 2019 applying for a position here at a Methodist church in town that is the director of youth and family ministries. And I started in that position in July. Wow. How's so it been going? It has been going really well. And I've found in so many ways that a lot of the training that I've had in other realms of my life really apply to the work that I do. And it, it reinforces to me over and over again that you have to be a jack of all trades to be in ministry. <laughs> well, I, I really think, though, that God um, just orchestrates all of it. Mm -hmm. um, he He has put things along your path that you, along the way that you, you develop all these different life experiences that lend themselves to whatever situation, you know, the next situation is. You've, you've right. then had those experiences that can help you. Mm -hmm. And so um, how wonderful for you that this has all worked out. Right. And especially because, you know, what really gave me the opportunity to take that sabbatical time was because Eric's mental health was in a really good place. And That's he was definitely a plus. <laughs> and he was in consistent employment and we were we had put money away and we were ready to be able to take that time without me contributing to the income of the household in a major way. I was doing some stuff on the side, but it wasn't like a regular consistent income. So um so it, it makes such a difference to have a partner that has stability. Um, to be able to to do your own thing. You know, I was amazed during my um, my illness that, you know, when I, I was off work for six months and I'm a per type of person that doesn't sit still. Mm -hmm. And so for me to have to like really sit on the bench for that long was just really hard. But at the same time, um, Tony was so amazing and even though, you know, he still had, you know, he still cycled because of his bipolar right. and everything. He was there for me. And especially yeah. it's like he, he just rose to the occasion when, you know, the really tough stuff of the surgery, you know, all of the mm -hmm. testing and all the things that were going on. 
Um, so it, it is one of those things where, you know, you say how great it was that, that I was able to do this because Eric was stable at the time. Yeah. And I, again, I just think that God orchestrates all of it. Yeah. And so. it was, and it was the right time for me to be able to finally step away from my work with kids with autism, mm -hmm. but I haven't entirely stepped away from it. I've got some kids in our congregation that are on the spectrum and I'm using the skills that I've learned in curriculum modification, behavior management for the betterment of the kiddos in the congregation and in the preschool that's connected to How cool our is congregation. That? Yeah. See? So it's it all works out. Amazing that I get to use that. And I'm continuously overwhelmed by those opportunities. That's um, so great. Just this past Sunday there was uh, one of those kiddos on the spectrum uh, raised her hand to do the prayer at the end of the children's moment. And I was holding the microphone with her, and she was able to do like a four-line prayer. Wow. Without any support from me. Wow. And by the end, I was just a mess. Just wow. it was It was beautiful to be able to see her progress over time because I knew her before I came to the church. And so that's just awesome. That's I love great. that. How wonderful. Yeah. things that I've learned in a, in a year of, of marriage mm -hmm. um, is to be able to just um, appreciate Tony for who he is. And um, I've definitely, I thought, you know, I thought I'm a special ed teacher. I'm a school right. administrator. I work with kids with special needs all the time. I've worked with kids for years um, who are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I've never encountered um, kids that have emotional problems or even mental illness, but I thought I understood bipolar and I thought I knew what it was until I lived with, right? you know, my spouse and, yeah. and wow, I, it has just taught me, it has opened my eyes to the whole, um, just the how to be compassionate and mm -hmm. how to just accept people for who they are and and not have expectations that are not real I mean that are unrealistic expectations right. I guess I would say um, so you know that in itself when you you talk about your your ch your child who um, you know was able to speak for lines you know mm -hmm. that's like such a huge thing and you just it just like it touches your heart in so many ways yeah. and there have been so many times over the past year that you know I've had to check myself because I don't think I could live with a serious mental illness myself I don't mm -hmm. I I look at what Tony brings to people I mean he's he's so intelligent and he has such a great sense of humor and he's so um just generous and loving and supportive. And, you know, having been a pastor for so long, he, I mean, I'll, I'll, all the time I can see his pastoral skills when he talks sure. to people, even family members, you yeah. know, it's just like you can tell that's what he did. And so when I see him struggle then with his illness, it just breaks my heart because I think that that, you know, has, has limited mm -hmm. him in so many ways to being able to do that work. So, um, I'm I'm really excited that he has found ways to do it, you know, through his blog and through obviously with Eric with this podcast right. oh, yeah. and all of that kind of thing. But you know, I just I feel like I have just learned to um, 
just take things a day at a time, which mm -hmm. is not my personality. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's probably good too. You know, God teaches you things, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and our experiences sometimes put limits on us that we need. Yes, exactly. absolutely. And so, so I can understand where you're coming from and that thinking that you knew bipolar um, I was an undergraduate psych major, and of course, all of us come out of our undergraduate degrees right. in psychology. We're like, I know everything about of abnormal course you psych. Do, did you have the DSM? Of course, uh, you know, and I remember when I took abnormal psych. You know, yeah. you're like diagnosing everyone in of your course. dorm. Yeah, like, this exactly. is what you do. Mm -hmm. So, and I also got my master's in a psychological field, but it was behavioral psychology. Okay. So it wasn't, it was more a Skinnerian type mm -hmm. of things. Like we're talking about how we modify behavior. Okay. Yeah. And so that is the mentality that I came into everything. And so, um, Susan, neither you or I, uh, walked into our relationships with our spouses without knowing that they had mental illness. We right. had, we had, we were like, all right, we know what we we've know got. What, yes. We're coming into Well, we it. thought we did. Well, right. We thought we did. The pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> I found out Eric had bipolar when um, I was living with his sister in Boston. We were roommates, and that's how we ended up meeting because she ran the Boston Marathon, and he was like the family cheerleader. What? Yeah. It, and then there was a long road between that meeting and us starting to date and eventually get married. Um it wasn't the timetable I wanted. I wanted it to be faster. I anyway. <laughs> we always, you know, have our own timetable, but it never works out. Right, exactly. And there's a reason for that. Absolutely. So um, I knew about Eric's bipolar because uh, we had a, our house in Boston was an intentional Christian community of women. So we had a weekly prayer time together. And uh, Suzanne had brought up um, Eric as a prayer request uh, a number of times, and I believe he may have been hospitalized at some point when we were living in the house together, or else he was having um, a pretty deep bout with depression. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that that was a part of the situation. And But by the time we started dating, um, it was just sort of in the background. It wasn't the his illness wasn't really a part of the equation. I knew it was a reality. Sure. He was in a stable part in his his mm -hmm. health at that point in time. Um, and it wasn't till we were seriously dating and engaged. He was depressed when we got engaged. And I saw that kind of low level depression that was there. It just sure. sort of was hanging on him. Kind of like under the surface or yes whatever. but it wasn't debilitating it wasn't mm -hmm. keeping him from doing his daily activities it wasn't preventing any of that kind of thing but by the time it was about six months after we were married um things were a lot worse wow um, it was really getting in the way of his work mm -hmm. he was having to take some time off his relationship with folks at work wasn't the best because he was depressed sure um just how those things can interfere and uh, we had to walk through the decision about whether or not he was going to seek inpatient hospitalization. Um, he had some changes in his medication that had happened because of um, physiological stuff, which sure. a lot of the listeners of this podcast can understand. Oh, yeah. You know, is getting that regular blood work to make sure that mm -hmm. everything is going okay. But when your levels hit a certain point, they say, you can't take this med anymore. Right. We just had that last, this past month with Tony, the same right. thing. You know, the, the blood tests come back and it's like, you know what? 
this is toxic for you now. You can't yeah. take as much of it anymore. We need to do something else. And and some of those med changes can be, um, they blow your world apart they in sure some do. ways. They sure do. And every time you know they they are about to have a psychiatry appointment, there's sometimes anxiety that builds up in me. Sure. About are we going to change medications? Mm-hmm. Are there is there anything that can be different? Um, but thankfully, Eric's been on a really a good level um, path since his hospitalization, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had a few bumps in the road here and there, but they've that hospitalization was really key in helping them figure out the best type of medications for him, the sure. best like kind of um, cluster of meds sure. for him. Absolutely. I know I know what you mean with that. And you know, for the first few months that Tony and I um, were married, it was basically the same thing. It was pretty even as far as as meds. But, you know, probably I think maybe in November, October, well, late the late part of October and early November, we had just some really he just he just really bottomed out in this really deep, deep depression. And I had never seen him that low for so long because his cycles tend to be kind of you know just Mm -hmm. a couple of days up a couple of days down you know it's not like he stays in any cycle like any high or low for an extended time but this was a very low lower than I've ever seen him and it was for such an extended length of time and I don't know if you remember but um, Eric actually came over to the house one night and and check you know to check on Tony but then he actually I think he was checking on me too he was so compassionate you know he just you know how's Susan how are you doing and maybe do you you know do you need to see talk to somebody you want to Jen Jen would talk to you you know he's trying to encourage me to like get out of the house and take care of Mm -hmm. myself um and so that I guess you know when you think about what kinds of things you've learned um I I was always very afraid during that time to like really to leave him alone because I you oh, know yeah. he's, he has tried to kill himself before mm-hmm. and so I had these these you know pictures in my mind of what could happen if I was gone and he's so you know he's so depressed and all these things so I was afraid to leave and so that ended up then I was tied to the house and yeah. you know I wasn't getting out and you know he kept, he you know to his credit he kept just saying Susan just please just go go out, go have coffee, go meet a friend for dinner, do something, but get out of here because I feel like I'm pulling you down into my pit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a, that was a problem for him. You know, it made him feel even worse. So it just kept getting really, really bad. But so, um, yeah, I mean, I ended up coming over <laughs> to see you at the church and talking with you. And I just kind of, it was so validating to be able to feel like, somebody gets it you yeah. know you totally did right and kind of helped me just feel like it's okay to take care of yourself mm-hmm. so um yeah you know that that happened and and later on you know as he has been going through you know he's had he's he's kind of struggled with that over the past several months with having some really more extended times of being depressed and then when his um blood test came back a probably three, two or three weeks ago where, um, certain levels, you know, indicated that the medication was toxic for him. Mm -hmm. Then they changed his meds and then that's kind of messed 
up things as far as how he feels and he's you know he's trying to get to that sense of where am I right. you know and so you know we just that I think is where you just have to rely on the fact that hopefully you know it it will even out eventually mm-hmm. you know it, t- it takes a while for that to for medications to kind of get to the levels where they need to be but also um it just if it weren't for my faith mm-hmm. to be able to just give it up and just say look lord i know that you've got this yeah and there's nothing that i can do really right. there's nothing that i can do except love him and and accept him yeah. and just you know go forward so and that process is so difficult. I'm, you know, just speaking for myself, I know that I have a tendency to be a fixer. Oh yeah. And I and I am a problem solver. And I when, always want to help. I'm, the, I'm <laughs> a helper. Right. I'm the fixer. Susan's the helper. Um, we can talk about Enneagram another day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just being in in the type of role where I've been in my professional sure. life, where I've been the clinical director, my job is to fix the problems, mm-hmm. um, knowing that there's limitations there. But sure. but I generally get to a place where kids are making progress. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals on the spectrum are making progress. And so to have someone in your house that you see is not making progress I was mm. constantly making plans for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was using my behavioral science to, uh-huh. to try to help Eric. And I think on some level, some of those things worked because some of them are just good response to depression advice, like mm-hmm. getting out and getting physical activity, mm-hmm. making sure that you're engaging with things that you love, even if you don't feel like you love them mm-hmm. at that point in time, keeping connected with family members and friends, mm-hmm. like doing things out in the community that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Just like that type of thing. But sometimes it can turn into a checklist. And then as a spouse, you end up becoming like a parent. Right. And that's not a role that no. that we're meant for. No. And it can really cause some strain and difficulty in the relationship. You know, I appreciated when um, that time when Eric did come over back this past fall when Tony was in this really deep depression because he was saying things that I have said but it was coming from the best friend instead of the 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 wife you know where it's like so have you like gotten out and taken a walk lately you know have you are you eating Mm -hmm. you know are you taking your meds you know all of the things he was kind of just like checking in with him and and doing those very things that you just said and so you're right because it's not up to the wife to be you know, because I felt after a while, I felt like I was just nagging, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, did you take your meds? Did you do this? Did you do yeah. that? It's it's 12 o'clock. Do you want to get up? <laughs> and I was like, what? what? You know, and I, that's, I don't want to be that person, right. you know, but yeah. at the other time, at, at the same time, when Tony's in a good place, we talk about these kind of things. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so the next time when you are feeling really, really low, what are the things that help? Like, what can I do to help you? And he's so good about saying, well, this is really helpful for me, but, but otherwise then like, I don't need you to come into the room and check on me all the time. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And so I have learned that I don't, I mean, I don't check on him. He knows, he knows where I am. 
all the time if I'm like in, back in our office working, doing whatever, I'm around the house or I'm out, you know, if I'm out teaching, whatever it is, he knows that if he needs something, I'm going to be there sure. for him. But um, it was hard for me at first mm-hmm. to not like want to care for him and help him and do all these things when it, mm-hmm. and and he's basically helped me realize that there's really nothing you can do for this Susan right <laughs> you know and and I think that's what's really hard for me to accept is sure like, I can't do anything to yeah. help him I think it teaches us that importance of just the gift of presence mm-hmm. and uh in seminary we talked about being an unanxious presence Hmm. and that is a (laughs) difficult thing to do when it is your loved one oh absolutely to be able to just be present with them Mm -hmm. and loving them unconditionally absolutely right uh, and supporting them and and wanting the best for them that's for sure Woo, that's hard work that's majorly hard work and What's been important to me in some of that, um, like when we hosp- when we made the decision for Eric to be hospitalized, was I shared it with my church community, mm. and that was not anything Eric had done before, oh. and I hadn't really thought that I was outing him as having serious mental illness to our congregation mm-hmm. at the time because I was just seeking support. Sure. And he wasn't in the hospital for very long. I think it was something like four days. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty brief visit to get him just stabilized mm-hmm. and, and with a treatment plan that was effective. Sure. But folks from the church came with me to go visit him in the hospital. And it was 30 minutes away from wow. here. So, you know, it was one of those things where people were really investing. And even if it was something they didn't quite understand, they were sure. still willing to take that time and to care for because them because they, they were him. they loved mm-hmm. him and they were his spiritual community. Sure. Sure. But how did so how did he respond to that though? I, it, he didn't seem totally off put or whatever when okay, we showed good. up because I good, told good. him that we were coming. Like okay. we had talked on the phone and and he knew. Um but I think it was the beginning of him really being able to see that um naming his diagnosis mm-hmm. in the world was really important, mm. and he wouldn't be doing this podcast today without that having been a step. Wow. I got you. So, you know, there's so much to be said for stigma breaking, and I know that that is that one is. of the core values of this podcast. Absolutely. And so, you know, being out there and saying, naming that I am a person with serious mental illness, and I am a person and I have a life, and I have kids, and I have a job, and all of those things that go with it. Yes. I function. You know, that's the thing, though. I mean, because stigma can be used against you. I mean, mm-hmm. people use this whole idea that having a serious mental illness can, um, you know, it. they use it against you. So there's a lot more work to be done there definitely in educating uh, law enforcement and the judicial system. Everyone. And so, I mean, I think it was fantastic that we had John Rohde on here not that long ago to talk, you know, what a great conversation that was. I learned so much from listening to him. And, you know, my background or I, I mean, I spent 17 years working for the Department of Correction, um, supervising schools inside, mm-hmm. you know, facilities. And so my my 
correctional background was so in tune with what what happens with the police. You know, so many times we talked about, you know, why is it that the police even arrest people with mental illness? And, um, you know, having that perspective from him saying, no, look, we do get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. But we need resources and we need, you know, there's you can't you there's sometimes there's just no choice but to arrest a person right you know there's just not and a so, lot of resources out right. there at all there's no choice there's not a lot of support right um and which so, is a huge shame that was a wonderful episode yeah yeah so um you so know, you talked a little bit a minute ago about what you've learned from tony about managing his illness so mm-hmm. what he's taught you and you said something about like you've learned compassion from him Definitely. I learned compassion. You know, just the other night we, um, so I used to be a music teacher. I've done all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, like I'm a music you and teacher, I, we both have, you know, like all these things. Like people, We have lots of things we like to do, Susan, you do. and me. I know. I, I, that's why we, that's why we get along so well. But anyway, um, so I love to go to the symphony and my, my daughters got us a Christmas gift where we have like four different concerts we can go to oh that's fantastic isn't it wonderful so we went to the symphony the other night we're sitting like 10 rows back right in the center you know we have a cello solo all these things it was so marvelous and I'm just like oh just absorbing all of this and just thinking how wonderful this is I didn't realize so Tony he'll he hears voices Mm -hmm. all the time he has voices going on in his head he told me at the intermission when I was like saying how wonderful this was he's like you know Susan I'm really sorry to tell you this but most of the time I couldn't really enjoy it because the voices just kept getting louder and louder and louder in my head and he said I think it was because of all of the sound and everything just being you know like right there and so at the time you know it honestly I caught myself because I I I like tried to it it just there are times when you just have to pause and that was one of those times because here I am I'm just like oh my gosh this was so amazing you know I've, I've had such a wonderful experience with all of this music and he the whole time I, I did look over at him one time and he was kind of like had his head in his hands a little bit on you know just kind of and I thought he was just absorbing the music but he was actually trying to like focus because of the voices in his head Mm. and so wow I mean it just that made my heart hurt when he said that because he didn't get to enjoy something that to you was so beautiful right and 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 to him it was difficult yeah you know and it was like oh but he remained there because he loved you exactly and that which even makes my heart hurt more (laughs) you know (laughs) I'm like oh oh that's a tough one yeah I think in my time with Eric, the things that he's taught me is really about what some general triggers are for um, maybe oncoming depression or anxiety, mm-hmm. um, because those are the things we see most in his life. I think he has a lot of challenges related to medical procedures, and he just recently had to have one. And... Um, I have to work on building compassion, even though I've worked with kids with disabilities for so long. It's 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 always been different for me to extend that kind of compassion and empathy to folks that are uh, neurotypical. And so I that is a learning edge for me, a growing edge. Um, and so he had an entire plan 
figured out to help him through this procedure. And, you know, I came with him on it, even though it was a relatively minor procedure because of the level of anxiety he had. And we were going up to Indianapolis and driving that far after he's had a procedure is probably not the best thing for him. So um, he... He, when he gets anxious, he talks more. <laughs> really? Eric talks a lot, but he talks more. I can't even imagine him talking more than yeah. he already does. And just asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So he was asking the surgeon a whole, like he had a whole list of questions he developed ahead of time, which wow. he emailed to me. So when he was more anxious in the office, that I could also help him ask the questions. Mm. So, you know, he's, he has a lot of good strategies. Some really amazing coping strategies. And so, like, as long as he's communicating those to me, I think we do pretty well because mm-hmm. I can help support him in that way. And, you know, I'm I'm helping the staff understand. Mm-hmm. I'm not sharing his mental health diagnosis, but I'm saying, you know, there's he has a lot of anxiety about medical procedures. And they were treating him with a lot of kindness. And so mm-hmm. that was that was great to see. Um, as we continue to walk this journey with this procedure that he had, and there's still anxiety there in the recovery. Sure. Um, because there's unknown about what's going to happen. Um, I tend to be a much more grounded person and deal in the present rather than focusing on anxiety about the future. And so I think it's in, in that way we balance each other out. Sure. Because I can be like, okay, so here's the reality. Here here are the facts. How let's is it? <laughs> let's have the facts, please. Okay. So it's like, what can we focus on what we know? Right. What do we know? And let's just stay with what we know. Right. Which isn't going to work every time. But, you know, even people without mental illness struggle with when when there's some kind of an unknown with health you know they they, I mean that's that's very scary for a lot of people and so it's probably magnified obviously with when you are yeah if if you have anxiety or if you have bipolar any kind of anything else on top of that you know it's so the hard the hard thing when he presents with anxiety like that is those that type of anxiety tends to affect his sleep pattern oh, no. and his biggest trigger in having a depressive episode is multiple days of a lack of sleep or really disturbed sleep oh boy so uh, that's something that I pay a lot of attention sure, to. Sure. The problem is, is most of the time I'm a pretty deep sleeper and I don't know <laughs> when he's getting up in the night and the bed that we have doesn't like yeah. usually wake me up. Though his alarm clock lately <laughs> has been, or his alarm on his phone is really, really loud. And I'm like, turn it off because right? he goes to work before me. Uh, but yeah, I pay a lot of attention to that to that sleep monitoring yeah. For us, I think that's that's a big thing. That's that he's taught me is a big trigger. You for know, him. so there there are things that that we can do to help. You mm-hmm. know, and and you know, so so the times that I feel the most helpless, I guess you know, I need to like go back and think about things like this. You know, it's like, well, I do understand what tri- the the triggers are, or I do know that there are things that I can do that will will help. You know, alleviate. Yeah. You know, even it, even just honestly, just accepting him for who he is yeah. and accepting the situation for what right. it is yeah. and just not not making a big deal out of it hopefully right. is helpful you know yeah because I, I mean Eric did have quite an elaborate plan for dealing mm-hmm. with his procedure um including he did a lot of physical activity that morning before oh wow um he got up really early and went and swam laps 
Okay. For like an hour, and then he came home and he rode on the exercise bike for another half an well, hour. Well, at least we know that the all the yes. serotonin levels and everything <laughs> were all where they needed to be. But Jen. what's great is like he understands that those are the types of things that he needs to do, and Good I for him. I need to just support that. Right. And for him, having physical activity in his life is really key. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I started doing more intentionally during my sabbatical time was Mm -hmm. working on my physical health Mm -hmm. um, and developing my running practice. And so because I'm in a space where I'm focusing on my physical health, like we can have conversations more effectively about me encouraging him to exercise Mm -hmm. um, and making time for it because Eric is a very busy guy and has lots of irons in the fire. So making space for that kind of self-care is important. It is. And he's not one to sit still, for sure. No. You guys have that in common. That's yeah, we for do. Sure. <laughs> we definitely do. There's no doubt about it. So I think we might be heading to the point of the show. Uh, since we already have answered what does healing mean to us in our previous episodes. We sure have. We decided that the last thing that we should discuss is our best advice for people who are in relationships with folks with uh, severe mental illness. Wow. Um, You know, I have been... So Tony actually has a part-time job at St. Peter's Lutheran here in town, and I have been um, attending his Sunday school class that he had. And the name of the the class is Walking Alongside People with Mental Illness. And so it's been a nine-week class. We're actually week nine is on Sunday, okay. and he's t- he's co-teaching it with um, with Debbie Tyke, another uh, person in, in, that's in our church. And so the two of them have been co-teaching this class, and there have been a lot of discussions about self-care. And it really took a long time for me to realize how just how important it was to allow myself to get out of the house when, mm-hmm. you know, when he is really depressed or, or even like he has been, he's been very manic lately with the election and everything. And, um, so I, so you, not only do you have to t- have self-care, but you also have to have a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So, so Tony, a lot of what he does with his, you know, his, um, he has a blog, you know, he has all kinds of things that he does and he's a writer. I mean, he, and he's very good at it. So he has been using those skills, um, with Facebook and so mm-hmm. other social media, trying to advocate for political candidates that share his beliefs about what kind of mental health policy needs to be put in place. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, I'm, I totally am for that. Well, the funny thing is, though, is he has been so manic about late. I mean, it was Super Tuesday, you know, so all of this was coming up. He was like, he's all about Amy Klobuchar. You know, he's like, she's his girl. And it got to the point where I teased him and I said, you know, I think I'm going to change my name to Amy. (laughs) Because, oh, my gosh, all I heard, Amy this, Amy that, Amy this, you know, and it got to be just funny. Right. But he actually got to the point where he had like a thousand Facebook friends that he has and he was classifying them by state so that he could send individual 
um, campaign information and updates for different candidates that he was endorsing. Because he was of- deep in the algorithms. Oh, That's epic work right oh, there. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was crazy. So so we went over to his sister's house on Sunday, and they were you know we just kind of touched base with them. We were talking and having you know having a little bit of a visit and. And she's like, so Tony, what have you been up to? And he said, oh, you know, he's like, I've, I took all of my, and he was so manic at the time. He's like, I took all of the people on my Facebook, all my friends, and I organized them by state. I did this. You know, he's like going through the whole big thing. And um, his brother-in-law, Dan, was just like, so Tony, what state were you in? And I'm thinking it's not Indiana. <laughs> The state of mania, yeah, the everyone. State of mania, you know. But so you know, having a sense of humor is really good, and he was able to laugh about it. And yeah. I mean, he he gets it. But then, but seriously, you know, with with the whole idea of of self care, that 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 need to be able to just get away, yeah, and and. It makes him feel better. I mm-hmm. I finally accepted. He has convinced me that it makes him feel better if he knows that I'm going about my life doing the things that I need to do, not feeling like I need to be there for him. Right. And, Care give, like right. constantly. Right. Yeah. You know, he's like, Susan, I've lived with this for many, many, many years mm-hmm. without you. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but it's better to live with yeah, you. Well, thank you, thank you. I think so too. But but you know, he kind of like made that point though. It's like, yeah. look, I I can do this. It's okay, and it makes me feel better if you take care of yourself. Yeah. So what about you? What what have you? So I think the self care piece is really important. I, I feel like since I took that sabbatical time, um, I was able to really get in touch with who I am and the growth that I need to do and start working on that in a really systematic way. Um, And that's helped me have more patience and space for Eric and his anxiety and knowing that he is a, he's a different person from me Mm -hmm. and he does not see the world in the same way that I do. And so having that, um, I think kind of like curiosity about that and how he can interpret the world that way instead of me writing it off, which is my natural inclination, because to me, the way I see the world is the right way. Of course. Hello. Yeah. Because it's the only way I know right. well, to see it, the world. Right. It's, it is. I mean, of course. So, but when I'm in, a, in the space where I have made sure I've gotten my runs in that week, mm-hmm. that I've given myself time for meditation and reflection and prayer Mm -hmm. um, that I've invested in having margin Mm -hmm. in my life. Those are the times that I am best able to help support and to love Eric in his, his difficult times. And we have a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. Um, We laugh a lot. I think our church on uh, Valentine's day, I did a renewal of vows and it was a fundraiser for uh, scholarships for the preschool. Okay. And I convinced Eric to do it. And we've been married for seven and a third years as he. Seven and a third? (laughs) Yes. Wow. He let let them know when they were filling out the certificate that was seven and a third. (laughs) Um, He's a numbers guy, everybody. Okay. Just don't don't let him fool you. So um, 
when we were doing that, uh, we they were the pastors at the church where they were doing the vows, and it was the associate pastor who I spend a lot of time with. And she was uh, sharing those vows. And when we got to the part of sickness and in health, I could not help but start laughing. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about the difference in when we first did our vows. Sure. And even though we'd already walked through a whole bunch before we had stood before the pastor that day, so much more has happened in the last seven and a third. Oh, absolutely. And experiencing needing to be hospitalized and some health challenges and career changes and all of that stuff that's happened. Right. And just even thinking about this this situation where he's had to have that medical procedure, um, that was on the horizon Uh on Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I was just like... (laughs) Okay. And I could not stop laughing the rest of the time uh, of of the yes. ceremony. Mm-hmm. And the pastor, the senior pastor's wife was in in the chapel capturing photos. And she just caught all these amazing pictures of us laughing together. <laughs> and the picture ended up being the Monday devotional photo oh, as the past as our senior pastor was reflecting on mm-hmm. um, the vows, renewals. And it just reminded me that, you know, if we cannot find those spaces For sure. to laugh even in the difficulty, we're wow. sunk. We are. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. Because even, I mean, even in any situation, I really feel like you can't, you can never take yourself too seriously. Yeah. You, I mean, just in general, I think it's important to have a sense of humor, but mm-hmm. wow. I mean, just magna, it's, it seems to be magnified. That's all. Yeah. So um, how, I, I wish I would have been there to see that. I would have been crying. It was, <laughs> it was a great moment. I think I was laughing so hard I was crying. It Aww. was just, it was just really good. And then we came home and he made me a lovely meal from uh, the Julia Child cookbook. Oh boy. Well, it's, it's originally entitled The Art of French Cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, Eric gave it to me for a wedding present and he changed part of the title. Oh yes. He called it The Art of French Kissing. <laughs> So oh, there no, you was, go, ladies and gentlemen. It was There's Valentine's Day, Jen. <laughs> it Hello. Was. You you got some extra here at the podcast of Revealing Voices Studio E. <laughs> more insight about Tony and Eric. I probably did a little more tell all than Susan did, but you know, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if he edits it out, whatever, right? it doesn't matter. It It'll doesn't. be fine. I think he'll leave it in. <laughs> I think to he be honest. <laughs> Hello. That was so romantic. It Come was. On. It was great. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Susan and I tonight. We are glad to be able to take over the podcast from right. Eric and Tony and have our own little conversation. We hope that it was helpful for you. And you can pass on any questions or comments that you have, and they will pass them on to us, and we'll maybe answer a few here and there. That would be great. All right. Well, have a good night, everybody. Bye, y'all. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. 
Jen, how the heck are you? I'm super good. How are you? It's so great to be here in Studio E. (laughs) It is the first time that you've been at Studio E. How does it feel? Oh, it's just, I feel like I've come home.